0: Nehemiah and Ephesians chapter 2 so just kind of have those I'll have some book page numbers for you as well but I'd like for you to, to kind of follow along if you could so Judges chapter 3 verses 12 through 30 is going to be our text we're talking about a journey of leadership we're going to follow God's lead it's on page 192 in the pew bible or you can pull it up on your electronic device out of the gate, this is probably my favorite story in Judges. Uh, we started this series last week going through Judges, and uh, this, is, this is kind of my go-to story when I'm uh, like a dorm dad at church camp for junior high boys. This is my go-to at like 11 o'clock at night when they have flashlights going crazy and they just will not settle down and go to bed because us adults, we're so tired. We're like, kids just go to sleep. And so I'm like, okay, lights out. Put your heads on your pillow. I'm going to read you a story from the Bible. And I read this story from judges. Generally, they have enough respect that you're reading the Bible that they'll actually be quiet. And I picked some fun stories because there's a lot of fun stories in here. This one specifically probably rates right up there for for junior high boys. So for some of you that need to kind of go back to your junior high days, uh, buckle up. For others, you're like, our preacher's weird. (laughs) I'll just be honest. Uh, This was, I think, we talked about God Squad. I was doing God Squad when I was uh, at a youth ministry in Galena, Kansas, and I think this was my first lesson I ever gave them was from this text. And so you're going to think, like those adult leaders, you're like, we hired this guy to do our kids stuff because I'll just be honest: these stories and judges are strange, and they are tragic. They are tragedies, and we don't handle tragedy very well. We want things to be happy. But even in the midst of sad stories, we can find how God is working in the details. So what I want to do today, I just want to read this story, and we'll look at it from three different main points of view, the characters that show up. One is the evil King Eglon. Can you say Eglon? Eglon, thank you. Uh, Then we're going to have the, the good guy for the most part. But even remember, these good guys in Judges aren't always very good. Uh, they start out pretty good. You know, real, last week's guy was good. Othniel was good. Ehud, sort of good. It gets worse. By the time we get to Samson, it's a train wreck. And so these guys are, you know, it's kind of there to deliver, but they're still fallen, broken people. Which gives us hope that if God can use those guys, then he can probably use me and you. So we're going to look at Eglon, Ehud, and then we need to see what God's doing. See where God is in this story, okay? You ready for us? Here we go, Judges chapter three. And again, this is in the Bible. Uh, Judges chapter three, verse 12. Three, verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. If if you were here last week, we talked about in Judges, there's this cycle. It's, It's really a downward spiral where the people would sin, then a bad guy would come and oppress them. Sin leads to oppression. They would eventually cry out to God. There's some type of repentance saying, God help us. They're groaning, they're crying out. And then God in his compassion gives them a deliverer. And so we're seeing this cycle multiple times as you keep reading through Judges. You'll see this phrase. Again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Someone comes and oppresses them. They cry out to God for help a deliverer comes. And so this is the the, uh, cycle again and again. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes we forget who's watching. God's watching. And the tagline in the last verse of Judges, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound like the world we live in today? You be you, I'll be me. You define truth however you want to. I'll define truth however I want to. But there is a truth from the word of God. And so when we do evil, God is under, he's seeing that. So when we do bad, God has a standard of right and wrong. And it's found in the scriptures. And so that's the days we live in. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over them. That's verse 12. Eglon, he's the king, king of Moab. His name means young calf. The young calf is king, and he gets a three-nation alliance, it's getting ready to say. Verse 13, getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Egon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. Anyone been to the city of Palms? It's Jericho in the ancient world, is what we believe. We'll see the city of Palm show up again next week in our text from Judges 4 and 5. So it's Jericho, that first city that they conquered. You remember when they came into the promised land? They marched around the city seven times, they blow their trumpets, and the walls came tumbling down. Same city. Now the evil king, which was destroyed, this evil king is setting up camp somewhere near there. Verse 14. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Sin leads to oppression. 18 years of oppression. That's Eglon. Bad guy. God sometimes uses the bad guys to discipline us. So pay attention. Sometimes the, the world rulers are ways that discipline us. So we've got Eglon. He's going to show up some more, but we're just going to leave Eglon there for a minute. But Eglon reminds us that you know, God punishes people for evil, and so he'll use uh, pagan kings to do that. Verse 15. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. You see that? Sin, oppression, some measure of repentance. I wouldn't get to give them too much credit, but they at least recognized, God, we need help. Remember the the Jesus prayer last week? Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. So call out for help. So they call out to help, and the Lord gave them a deliverer. You see our cycle? Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. Deliverer. And his name was Ehud. The word deliverer in Hebrew sounds a lot like the name of Jesus. It's his Hebrew name, Jesus. He's a deliverer, he's a savior. You're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So God is raising up this savior named Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamites. Anybody left-handed here? A few of you left Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, It's not... I'm, you guys are amazing. I just I cannot do that. I can't, I, you know. And some of you guys are... Those left-handed folks are really good with both, it seems like, too. Uh, and so this is he, Ehud's left hand. He's from this tribe of Benjamin. If you watch the, the video for Right Now, right now Media, he's, he thinks that possibly the, the word means that their right hand was bound. And so some he's going to suggest that maybe Ehud had like a physical defect with his arm. Maybe it was a withered arm with his right hand. I don't know. I mean, it could be. But it sounds like sometimes in this tribe of Benjamin from history, they would bind this hand so that they could really be skilled with both hands. And if you go to go to Judges, if you, this is kind of a crazy verse too. Go to Judges chapter 20. We're going to learn about these Benjamin guys. These guys from the tribe of Benjamin. Judges chapter 20 verse 16. Judges chapter 20 verse 16. Again, these, tribe, uh, these guys from Benjamin... Judges 20, 16. Among these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. There's some talent there. I could sling a stone. I ain't hitting no hair. And so these guys could have been not just you know, you know, withered guides, but maybe they actually were skilled skilled you know swordsmen and things and they could swing a stone and and just be a mark hunting season started yesterday right anybody get go out go bow hunting yet so so wouldn't you like to have that guy on your hunting party could sling an arrow or whatever there's another phrase that talks about these guys the tribe of benjamin from from first chronicles where it says that they were bowmen so archers and they could shoot arrows and sling stones with either left or right hand so these guys may be pretty good guys. Sounds like Hawkeye, maybe. Could actually you know just do it anywhere he needed to go with his bows and arrows and these stones. So it could be that Ehud's like a special ops guy, maybe. So he's the left-handed man, son of Gera Benjamin. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So I've just finished verse 15. And I was thinking of, uh, you know, so King Eglon, he's the... The guy oppressing them, you would have to bring tribute, bring gifts, offering to keep the king happy. Uh, thinking of that little cartoon, The Bug's Life, and what, the grasshoppers are like the big bullies, and all the poor little ants are always bringing the food, and he's like, where's my food, and blah, 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 blah. And so maybe there's this picture of, you know, we got the king, you got to keep him happy. Eglon's leading this group of gifts to the king. That's the picture we have. Going into verse... Uh, 16. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he had strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. So not only is Ehud potentially a pretty good marksman, this guy can make knives. Like he's a blacksmith. How many of you have made a knife before? It's really hard work to, to do that, to forge it and to beat it and all that workmanship and file it down, all of that. So he had some skill. He got some muscles. He made this double-edged sword, a cubit long. You know what cubits are, right? No idea. This is about as long as a cubit, from your elbow to either your fingertips. Some of them mean to say from here to here. So that's, a, that's, his, that's his sword that he made. Okay. So he's got it strapped onto his thigh, uh, I love these stories because you're like, "What's he going to do with the sword?" Let's find out. Verse eighteen or uh, seventeen. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? It says that he was a very fat man. Thank you for that. Aren't you glad you're not in the Bible under those descriptions, okay? And so, E. Eglon, young calf, has gotten fat off the taxes of, of God's people, possibly. Some people think, well, maybe he's just strong, he's robust. Uh, The same word used to describe when Joseph uh, interprets the dreams of Pharaoh and there's the the skinny cows and then there's the, the plump cows that represent the seven good years or there's the skinny heads of grain and then there's the full head, the plump ears of corn grain representing the seven years of abundance. So maybe Eglon is abundant. Sounds like he's fat. Verse 18. After, see why junior high boys like this? Okay. He's getting, here we go. Verse 18. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who'd carried it. So they've, he's got an entourage. He's like, you guys going back home? We got the stuff delivered. You are my roadies. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go on home. They presented the gift to Eglon. And but reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he went back to Eglon. And so he sent them back. And he's on his way back to Gilgal. This could be the location where they came into the promised land. God brought his people across the Jordan River on dry ground at flood stage. And they come to this place called Gilgal. This is one location. There could be others. But here's here's where I'm preaching it today, my understanding. So Gilgal right across the Jordan River. And in Joshua 4, God and and Joshua says, get 12 stones out of that river. I want you to grab one from each tribe, 12 stones, and put it here. And this is going to stand as a memorial to remind ourselves that God brought us here this promised land. So they've got these stones set up to remind them of what God has done. But here it says that when he got to Gilgal, he got to the stone images. Some say, well, it's those stones. Could be. But it could be that there's idols there now. So there were stones that reminded God's here and God's going to take care of us. And now they've started setting up other idols. You remember in first part of Judges chapter 2, the next generation didn't know about God or what he had done. So it shouldn't surprise us to see some idols here now. And so when we forget what God has done, we get into trouble. And adults... Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles. It's our responsibility to teach this next generation about what God has done and who he is. And so Ehud sent the group away. He gets these stone images, and it's the word for turnaround. I don't know if I'm making too much out of this story or not, but it almost is like the the writer wants to say, okay, those idols we ain't going there anymore. I don't know if I'm making too much of that or not, but it's the picture of we're going to turn around away from those. And he's going to go back to Eglon. What's he going to do with Eglon? You know what he's going to do. Even if you haven't read this story, you know what's going to happen. And so let's see what happens. On reaching the stone images, he went back, turned around almost like he, you know, we have, that's the word we have for repentance, turn you turn, turns around, he says to Eglon, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. I have a secret word for you. That King Eglon is like, hmm. Silence. Everyone leave. And so he sends everyone out. They leave us. All they are left. Ehud then approaches him while he is sitting alone in his upper room of his palace. He changes it a little bit. Remember, I have a secret message for you. Now he says, I have a message from God for you, King Eglon. Secret message. Now we have this divine word from God. And so you're almost like Eglon's looking in and you're like, what's going to happen? What's Ephod do next? What's it say? He gets his sword that was underneath his cloak about 18 inches. And he says, here's my secret message for you, O king. And he stabs King Eglon into the belly. Not a very hard target to miss, okay? If you can sling a stone at a hare and not miss, I think you're going to hit King Eglon when he's a foot away. And so it says that he rams this sword into his belly, so much so that the, flat, the fat comes in, he can't even pull out the blade he stabs in so much. Do you see that? Aren't you glad you came to church to hear this today? That's why junior high boys love this story. So he stabs the bad guy, and he's so fat that the flesh comes in. He has to leave his sword that he has made. You know that had to be a hard choice. I worked hard on this. I'm going to leave this in here. He doesn't even pull them out. Okay? And so he he gives that to him. And then it... Did you already read what happens next? Can we say this in church? Okay, where do we go here? Verse, 23, verse 21, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword out from his right thigh, plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his, oh my, it says his bowels are discharged. That's the nice way to say it. The old versions say, and the dung came out, or refuse came out, or dirt came out. You get the picture this is gross and it's in the bible and i'm sorry that you picked today to come to church to hear this story but there's something here to be learned from all of this so we got eglon sword sticking out of his belly there's stuff on the floor now um, ehud didn't pull it out the fat closed in over it Then Ehud went to the porch, he shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. And he's going to make his getaway. Now remember, it's just him and Eglon. Eglon's on the floor with his, you know, sword in there and feces on the floor. He's like, I think it's time for me to get out of here. And so I don't know how he leaves. If he goes, if there's like an outside window, he shimmies down. Some people think that there was, he might have actually been in the restroom area. And so there's a latrine or sewer system that he sneaks out. We're not so sure, but he somehow gets away. All right, verse 24. After he had gone, the servants come and they start rattling the door. It's locked. What's going on? Then they probably smelled. I think we know what's going on in there. <laughs> they say he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. I don't know how long that was, but they're like, he is the king. Okay. And so they eventually find a the key. They unlock it. They find on the floor their lord fallen on the floor dead. While they waited, where's Ehud? It's like a movie, isn't it? He's gone. He's kind of like, he's like in the getaway car and he's leaving, he's like, see ya. And so it says that he had got away, verse 26. He passed the stone images. Remember those ones? Earlier it says he turned around from them. This is almost the one where it says he, like he passed over, like he transgressed them. Like he stepped over those images. There's almost, it appears to be a picture of like those idols are bad and I'm, I'm gonna step over them now. I'm, I'm going away from them. I'm, I'm getting out of there. He goes to the, the images, escapes them, verse 27. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet. Does God's people ever blow trumpets? Yeah, a few times. They blew trumpets not too far from where he was in Jericho, if you remember. They marched around and they blew the trumpets. And we're going to see trumpets show up later in Scripture as well victory, sometimes call people for worship, blows the trumpet in hill country. Israelites went down in front of him and he's leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. Follow me. So he's a leader. We're talking about leaders here. This season of our church elders and deacons today's our deadline to submit your recommendations for elders and deacons and one of my friends he says you know when you're looking for elders when you're looking for leaders in the church uh, you want the leaders to maximize their their time on three three things three doctrine discipleship and discipline doctrine we need leaders who will hold to this truth because in those days, everyone could do what's right in their own eyes. And we need leaders to say, no, this is what's right. So you've got to guard the doctrine. Elders, deacons, they stand on the truth. They remind us. They teach us that. They also need to lead the way in discipleship. Our mission is to make more and better followers of Jesus. We need elders. We need deacons that will say, hey, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And they're helping others grow in their walk with Jesus. And then they'll also need elders to discipline. Just as a parent disciplines their kids, our elders are here to discipline the church and just to do it in a loving, gracious, Christ-honoring way. But we need someone to say, hey, what you're doing is not right and we want to help you. And that's the most unpleasant part of it. It's the hardest part. And so that's when we're looking at that leaders, that's what it looks like. And so I, can I just say that our elders don't, carry knives and stab people. Okay. Can't do that, okay? So don't do this with, with Ehud that way because he's not that. But I will give him credit, at least in this moment where he says, follow me because God is giving us the victory here. I can appreciate Ehud saying, God's the one who's going to win here. So I don't want us to get so caught up in the theatrics of Ehud that we remiss the story of what's really happening. And that's what God's doing. So we looked at Aglon, we looked at Ehud. I want to see where is God at in this story? What do we learn about God from this story? Well, earlier in verses 12, it says, Again, Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord's watching out, and we do bad in His sight, and we cannot hide from Him. It also says that the Lord gave Eglon, in verse 12, gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. So God will use people to discipline his people when they do bad. So God's seeing it, he's disciplining but he's also compassionate enough to rescue, And that's the last part there in verse 28. Follow me, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down and took possessions of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. No one escaped. That day, Moab was subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. 18 years of oppression, God was able to turn that into 80 years of peace. 80 years of peace. To summarize this story, we could say it this way Only the Lord defeats enemies to bring peace. Only the Lord defeats enemies to bring peace. So God's the hero of the story, not Ehud. And make sure, as we're reading through these judges, that we don't get so enamored with the theatrics and the wildness of these stories that we don't lose sight of who it really is. And these judges really paint us a, a pale comparison of who the true rescuer is. I told you I was going to take you to Nehemiah. I want to invite you to Nehemiah chapter nine twenty-seven, Nehemiah chapter nine twenty-seven and twenty-eight. It's right there before Psalms and Job. There in your Bibles. Just a few you know, ch- chunks after where we just were. But Nehemiah, and they're talking about this season of the judges. And here's what they have to say. Nehemiah 9, verse 27. Again, it's on page 391 if you need it. So they're talking, he says, So you delivered them into the hands of enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. Does that sound familiar? From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. We have a compassionate God Who meets us even in our messes to rescue us from our enemies? The Apostle Paul describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about when we do evil and how God has rescued us. It's on page 947 on the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and following. made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Only the Lord defeats our enemies to give us peace. You go down to verse 14 and he says, Christ is our peace, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create him himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access by the, to the Father by one spirit. Christ is the one who brings us ultimate peace when we face these difficult enemies. Eglon, Ehud, God, what about us? What are we going to do with this crazy story from the Old Testament? One, be aware of the evils of sin. We're going to see this reminder throughout. Again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and something bad happens. Sin, it's been said, sin costs you more than you want to pay, and keeps you longer than you want to stay. Sin costs you more than you want to pay and keeps you longer than you want to stay. Two, follow the true deliverer, that's Jesus. Follow him and remember your weapons. In Ephesians chapter six, he says, We don't fight like the world fights. You know, our. Battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil against the, in the heavenly realms. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and prayer. And so we fight the enemies with a sword, but it's different than Ehud's sword. It's the word of God, and it's prayer. If you want to take this lesson a step further, I invite you to our Right Now Media subscription for the Judges series. You can text Berlin CC to the 49775 and we can get you set up with that free lesson, but he's got some helpful lessons on Judges if you want to take it another step further. Remember that only the Lord brings peace and he's the one who defeats our enemies. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. Lord, we confess that we have sinned, and we are in need of your saving grace. And I thank you for the forgiveness that we have, that we are safe and secure in you, King Jesus. I want to pray for those who are hurting. I want to pray for those who are oppressed, that you would bring deliverance. Lord, I pray for your peace that passes all understanding. You make everything right and new. And so we ask for your help. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.